Today's Acoustic Alternatives, once again, brought to you by Grove Studios, the space that I've been doing the podcast in since, oh, I don't know, September of 2020. Is that when I started doing this? Uh, <laughs> we've got Chain of Lakes, also known as Kyle Rashi, and he's going to be performing songs from the new album, Catch. Kyle, welcome to Acoustic Alternatives. Thanks, John. I know that you get a lot of uh, slack-ish stuff about your name because <laughs> it's been mispronounced so many times. And humorously, I thought, you know, if you'd become... A dermatologist, you'd have been okay with the wrong pronunciation, I think. Yeah, I probably would have named the practice after yeah. some, some sort of mispronunciation, uh, I'm sure. But I, I can see how it could easily be pronounced, because sometimes I find myself wanting to say it the wrong way, too. It's not a phonetic last name, that's no. for sure. But in, and that was certainly part of the part of the motivation to call just call it a band name. But is it really a band anymore? I mean, I don't know that you have a band. Well, you know, I, I do when uh, when... The occasion presents itself that it would necessitate a band, you know? Um, it's, it's definitely the name of the, the music I'm putting out. Well, the new album is excellent. It is called Catch. Here's my autographed copy for you to browse. You can find... Are you selling the CDs online, or are they only at shows? Um, I'll probably figure out a way to do that. Um, I, that first batch that I ordered was... Um, I didn't really have enough to do that. I, I kind of stocked up for the foreseeable shows that were up there, but I'll probably put them on Bandcamp or through the website pretty soon here. Okay, very well. We'll direct people there a couple of times throughout the interview, but... Yeah, uh, if anybody wants to email, if anybody wants a physical copy, they can email me through the chainoflakesongs.com. Okay. Well, you have a guitar. I do have you, a guitar. And you have songs. I have some songs. And we're going to talk about the album. We're going to talk about your career. We're going to talk about lots of things, but how about a song first? Let's do that. What this, would you like to start with? I'll start with the uh, the title track. All right, here's a song from the album Catch, which is one of many that uh, talks a bit about Kyle's family. This is uh, the title track to the first record, um, or excuse me, the title track to the last record, uh, and it's called Catch. Grandpa came to visit Don't think I was even six yet He said, why aren't you outside With that brand new mitt I sent you And I said, Grandpa, I'm so grateful You send anything at all But that glove hardly holds a ball And he laughed his ass off. He said, How could I forget? Can't just send a kid a mid without a good old heart to heart about just how to break it in. Can't rush a glove to greatness. That's why I'm starting you right now. Go get it. I'll show you how My granddad showed me how You pound on the pocket with your fist Tap a mallet on the webbing And rub in a little lanolin Tied up tight on Feel it breaking in Once you're out For crying out loud Playing catch 
summers that he came Felt like more than just a game We'd spend all those hours outside Just shagging flies and reacquainting And I'd say, Grandpa, I'm so grateful We found all this time to talk But come on, man, could you throw Shane Blake's on Acoustic Alternatives. Kyle Rashi is here playing songs from the just-released new album, and that is the title track. It is called Catch. You can learn a lot about your family if these are autobiographical songs on the record, songs about your daughter, your wife, your dad. Yeah, and, it's uh, true. I, uh, I guess write what you know, right? That's right. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of parenting going on these days, so it, it definitely bleeds into the projects. And if that's what your voice sounds like after two and a half hours in a car and ten minutes of like just milling around with me for a second. You sound great, just like right out of the car. Wow. Thanks, John. Wow. So good. I might even like that version better than what's on the record, but shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it was just raw and honest and beautiful. I hope it's better live, right? That's what, yeah, that's what everyone hopes. Well, that's a good way to kind of get into a, let's learn a little bit about a younger Kyle. Is that a true story? Is that a story about you and your grandfather? Yeah, th- there's some truth to it for sure. Um, my my dad's old man used to come, and he was all he was not an athlete. He w- uh, was just a he was a Kyle fan. He would do whatever <laughs> I wanted. I remember him uh, playing catch in the backyard. He'd have those like gold toe socks and a pair of shorts that he probably his only shorts that he had for the last <laughs> fifty years. And he'd go out and he'd play catch with me a little bit. But th- that uh, song's a little bit about um, it's a mix between who my grandpa was and the grandpa that I want to be. Um, and then the bit about my daughter being left-handed and not being able to use my childhood glove is definitely true. But it was it was the neighbor kid that taught me how to break in a glove. Okay. Um. So, but yeah, there's there's some truth in it for sure. And uh, yeah, one of my buddies, uh, Justin Stovepipe Stover, uh, we during the pandemic we were just trying to get each other to write and try to hold each other accountable, and he put uh, he put out a baseball prompt. 
And so my my head initially, I was like frustrated with the prompt. I'm like, come on, man, I wanted I want to write some serious songs. And my head immediately went to like take me out to the ball game. But then that one kind of landed on me, and uh, I'm definitely grateful for it. It was one of those songs that came really quick. And you're a baseball fan anyway, right? Uh, I am. A, I grew up a Tigers fan. I'll always say I'm a Tigers fan, but I, I will admit that I have not been paying attention for the last couple of years because I don't need any more. I don't need any more <laughs> trying uh, torment in my life. So uh, I've not been paying attention to the Tigers, the current Tigers. It's not worse than being a Lions fan. It's better, I think. Personally. There's at least something to look forward to. I will always be a Lions fan. I'm waiting. My fa- my my sister married into a big Cubs family. So I saw their uh, elation when the Cubs finally won the World Series. And yeah. I, all, the whole time I was thinking, like, us Lions fans are going to – it's going to be so good when the Lions finally win. Fires and cars being turned I'm, over. I'm waiting for it. I'm also a Spartan fan, so I know how to light couches on yeah. fire. I know how to do the whole East Lansing riot deal. I actually have never participated in the riots, but I did get uh, tear gassed once while, oh. I, while walking to 7-Eleven to get a case of beer. I was That's like, why sucks. do my eyes hurt so bad? And then – Lo and behold, it was the wind from down the street where people were getting tear gas for, for burning couches. And the funny part was, is that we won. Yeah. That was how we. That was how the Spartans responded to us winning. So, Great. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't lose. The whole place would have gone up in flames. So you don't you don't come from the west side of the state. Nor well, that's not where you're from. Like you're no, from, I was you're born in Redford, at, uh, or well, I was born in Southfield at Providence Hospital, the old Providence Hospital, and my parents lived in Redford, and then we moved to. Novi when I was in like kindergarten and then um, when I was in elementary school we moved to mid-Michigan I graduated from Okemos High School went to Michigan State where I met my wife and then we moved back to Detroit promptly after school spent a couple of years up on Mackinac Island and then she got into grad school at Wayne so we lived here for uh, five or six years and then we moved she's from West Michigan so we moved back there uh, 2010 right before uh, my first Chain of Lakes record came out so you've been part of both sides of the mitten. What side do you like better? Um, I think the west side likes me a lot better as far as the music is concerned. Um, I I definitely found um, a group of friends and uh, just the, the singer-songwriter scene over there seems a lot more... Uh, it was just easy. Maybe it was just where I was in, in my life when I moved over there that I was able to assimilate a little bit easier, but okay. I, I found the response to my music uh, much more welcoming there. Uh, I had, a, I had a rough go of trying to, to get my, my music heard when I was in Detroit. Um, I was living like Ferndale, Oak Park area, and I have some stories about getting, you know, people cutting me short at open mics and stuff. And, wow. you know, I was trying to do it at, you know, maybe just the wrong spot. But I had very good friends and some good experiences over here, too. And since I've moved to West Michigan, I've, I've fallen in, as you know, with like the Trinity House folks and stuff. And uh, the folks at Wildsea's up in Clarkston and that have been absolutely outstanding to me. So it's been a lot. It's really fun to kind of come back here now and get to play some of those venues that I was begging to get in while I lived here. I'm playing the Ark tonight for the first time. That's a big deal for any Michigan songwriter absolutely. to kind of grace those hallowed grounds. Uh, so, yeah, it's coming together. I, I really can't say I like one better than the other, but I think the move to West Michigan was was very good for me at the time. And uh it's kind of expanded to the east side too now, so it's kind of nice to get back. When you were a kid, what did you like to do before music came to be your focus? I played so much soccer when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Uh, I mean, all the time. That's. I mean, I think I look back on what I put my parents through as far as driving me down to Kentucky for tournaments every weekend. And then, you know, the better you get and the better teams you get on, 
I can't imagine what it's like now because I know that kids nowadays are having to pick that one sport when they're like seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have coaches coming up to me now because my daughter scores a couple goals in her AYSO soccer team, and I'm like, no, 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 no. When I was growing up, the this the ball we threw or kicked changed with the seasons, and I thought that that was very healthy. And nowadays, <laughs> they're just asking these kids to dive in and be a professional all year. You know, it's it's crazy yeah. what they ask these kids to do. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of soccer and, um, honestly choir was very formative for me as far as the musical, um, realm I had, uh, in the Okemos school systems, I had like two legendary choir directors that of course we didn't know that they were legendary until we left and realized, you know, and I had college professors that were like, you know, just paled in comparison to these wonderful directors. And then I, I got to study under John Reed at uh, Michigan State while well, he was kind of coming into his own and going to ACDA Nationals, which is American Choral Directors Association. I got to be in like his show choir. It mm. was just like, I just got so lucky with the exposure to uh, my choral music education. And it was all just by circumstance of where I lived. This is not meant to be anything other than an observation, but you don't strike me as a, a choral guy. Like, the way you sing doesn't necessarily, I, I can't tell, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I, um, I've always had a good ear for the harmonies, and that, I mean, that's my best instrument. If I'm sitting in with another band, it's singing. Hmm. I'm not a great guitar player. I would never insult guitar players by saying I'm a good good (laughs) guitar player. I can screw around on the piano, and I can accompany myself, but vocally, I've always always been very drawn to those vocal groups, too. Simon and Garfunkel, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, my dad... Had a lot of those tapes growing up that I and I was always super drawn, even like the James Taylor records where he where he had the the choir the mm-hmm. you know the let us turn our thoughts today yeah. to Martin that uh, what's that called shed a little light mm-hmm. I mean I I was always infatuated with those songs, so and my voice never changed so as as the in sixth seventh eighth grade as as the boys all started to have their voices changed. I think I became more valuable to the director because I was still a first tenor all the wow. way through college. Wow. So, um, yeah, and I was desperate for my voice to change. I wanted all the girls to know that I was going through puberty too, and it just didn't <laughs> happen until I was well into college. Well into Do they college. know now? I, I have a couple kids that are proof, but uh, <laughs> luckily I found a woman that was not attracted to me for any big baritone, that's for sure. <laughs> uh. Okay. Um, are your kids anything like you, a young you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I guess I've never really thought about that. They they love me. Well, who I doesn't? Can, you know, you're, it's it's kind of my line when I talk to my friends and stuff that are, that are entering that parent stage is I feel like you have a pretty good idea of how much you're going to love your kids just based on how much, if you want kids or, you know, your relationship with your parents, but nothing will really compare you or prepare you for how much they love you. Mm. And so I definitely feel that, you know, they're, they're into what I'm into cause I'm into it. And, uh, but I'm definitely very committed to making sure that, that they're allowed to be into whatever they want to be into and, and making sure that I'm into that too. But yeah, they love making up songs. And, uh, my little Annie is a really, really, really good athlete and, and, Kate will be too as soon as she decides that she cares what the score is and what goal she's going towards because she's very able. You know, as soon as she has it, like any drive to, to get the job done, she's there and Annie's very focused. So she's she's been very successful in sports. My little Eve is a phenomenal artist. She's a, my little lefty. She's my oldest and she, mm. she just loves to paint and color and 
she gets these crafts going and she's very uh, task oriented when it comes to that. She's a lot like my mom. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're exactly like me, but that's probably a good thing. Are they interested in music the way you are? Yeah, for sure. They love they love music. They love my music. I mean, I, I'm I'm very um, cognizant about including them in my process. You know, mm-hmm. like our bedtime songs. Like my kids will ask me what song I'm working on, and they want to hear it. And Eve will have a page of notes and suggestions. <laughs> you know, um, so everyone's I, a critic, even your kid. You bet. Yeah, and I we you know I grew up in a house that had kind of precious instruments. You know, my old man's guitar was was kind of off limits when I was really young. Uh, the piano was not to be banged around on. It, you know, we took lessons and there was a right way to play it. And Amanda, my wife and I were very careful to have a house that, you know, I have a little Yamaha three-quarter guitar that I play 95% of the time because it's out. But I want my kids to explore it. And, and, you know, it's not a sacred instrument. Like, they know how to take care of my nice guitars and stuff like that. But there's definitely, they can explore on that stuff. They can bang on that piano and put tape on it. until so you remember your song, like do, cool. do, do what you got to do. It's, you know, we got a Craigslist Baldwin that, uh, that they can beat up on a little bit and just, to, I don't know, explore that space. You know, I mean, I kind of remember, uh, being told like, hey, you know, we're trying to watch TV in here when I, when I would, at the end of my piano lesson sure. practice, when I'd start banging around and just trying to explore the instrument a little bit, like, and feeling like that exploration was annoying. <laughs> I, we, my wife and I were really careful to, to not let whatever sounds they're creating and exploring on those instruments come off as anything other than awesome. Go do it. Have fun with it. I have, they have their own ukuleles that I put in like open tuning. So it sounds okay when they pick them up and yeah, they, they, they like to explore that kind of stuff. And it's, it's neat to see that they're growing up in this environment where like making up songs is totally normal. Like you, you want to make a song, do it, make, make it up. What, what do you got? You know? So, and they're starting to, you know, we make songs when we're weeding the gardens and, you know, just about kind of about everything. I have a kid's record on deck, actually, that's pretty much written. That's my buddy Josh and I, who produced this record. He has little ones as well. And we're like, we have so many songs we're just playing around with at home that weren't really, we didn't start out to make a record per se, but we just realized that between the stuff that we're all singing at bath time and our little wash your hands song that we've always uh, been singing with my kids forever, like we could record that song. Like, <laughs> let's do it. So someone might find some value in that and sure. you know, it'd be fun. We just both like working on music too. So that's kind of on deck and my kids 100% informed all of those songs. That's awesome. Yeah. At what point did young Kyle pick up guitar? Because he was already singing, apparently. I was singing in choir, and I i mean, I remember vividly like closing my eyes and pretending I was Elton John in the back of the van hmm. on our on our car trip. And oh, I loved I loved the piano. And I mean, my dad had these old Croce records and James Taylor and Cat Stevens. My first concert was Gordon Lightfoot. So nice. I mean, the the, the music that I've kind of gravitated back to in, in adulthood was totally the formative stuff that I was listening to in my dad's car. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked up guitar one summer in between seventh and eighth grade. My dad had an old bright green Telecaster under the bed in the uh, guest room that I, I mean, and to be completely fair, John, I was not a kid that was to be trusted with nice things. I didn't like, when I say that, like my parents, you know, didn't encourage me to go and touch the instruments. Like I was not the kind of kid that was 
that deserved that sort of trust. I was I was a rowdy rowdy kid. I mean, I was definitely more of a soccer player than a musician for sure. Okay. Um, but I uh, I remember pulling that Stratocaster out because it looked cool and and being uh, like right away being sick of the amp and the chords and all that kind of stuff. So he had this old Alvarez too, a Yari Alvarez. He still has it. It's my, one of my favorite guitars in the whole world. And while he was at work, I uh, I found a fake book of Dan Fogelberg, and I learned how to play There's a Place in the World for a Gambler, hmm. which is just C G or C F G. Um, and, you know, to his credit, I mean, I played that thing one summer for like 10 hours a day. Like I, I, I was, as soon as I could do something that I liked to hear, I was, I was off and gone. And when you learn those three chords, you, you got a foundation to write every other pop or folk song in the world. So I started spending a ton of time and, and then my friends would come over and I'd make up parody songs to make them laugh and that kind of stuff. And by the time my dad caught me playing his guitar, <laughs> I was, I, I had spent so much time with it. I mean, it, it must it couldn't have been more than like three or four weeks, but like I said, I was going eight, ten hours a day with it. So I mean, I was I was playing like he could play. When he caught me, and to his credit, that next Christmas I got a Fernandez uh, little Telecaster copy, and he let me play. Uh, he put me in lessons with John Campbell and in Lansing, who's a legendary player. He's he uh, has a band called the Peppermints, and that was that. You know, I took a couple summers of guitar lessons and just. Started making up my own stuff. He probably pretty, said, "You're pretty good, kid. Don't touch my guitar. Here's your own." <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he was just so cool about it, and yeah. I, I think it, you know, it's something that he was always interested in too. My dad was a drummer growing up, and then he switched to guitar. Um, he actually li- lived with Terry Burkett, who's a, a mutual friend of ours, and uh, Terry's an unbelievable guitar player. So I think my dad was like, "Oh, I want to play guitar too." So mm-hmm. he, that old Yari Alvarez was Terry's. Mm. And uh, my dad still has it. It's such a beautiful instrument. And so, yeah, that's, you know, we, we, we still play together. We do our music weekends up north on the Chain of Lakes, where, uh, which is what I named my band after. We've, my family's had property up there forever. And, uh, yeah, we, we still play music together. I'm glad you picked up a guitar back then. I would like you to do it again right now. Yeah. What would you like to play next from, from Catch? Um, I'll play Brave Marie. All right, this song. I got to tell you, I mean, it's so catchy, it's an earworm for me. Yeah. It's a science lesson for kids. And I want to know how you came to write it. Did you have, were you helping one of your kids with a class project or something? You know, we um, we have these books for them that we read before bed um, called Bedtime Stories for Rebel Girls. These Rebel Girls books, it's like a series. And it highlights all these fantastic, very influential women throughout history. And one of them is Brave, or excuse me, one of them is Marie Curie. And... Um, you know, I've worked in radiology for day jobs and such, so we've I've always seen that very deformed first X-ray ever taken of her hand, probably with you know very uh, she she just she died of gross overexposure to radiation, obviously. But this this, this picture of her hand is not healthy. She must have already had a, a very uh, progressed disease state when she took that but um so i remember uh seeing her before and so i already had kind of an interest in that and just what she went through as a female in you know she was born in um excuse me um she was born in warsaw when you know girls weren't even allowed to go to college she ended up getting a scholarship to to paris where she 
basically, I think she became the first female professor mm. at the University of Paris and just ba- discovered and taught everybody about radiation, and it, which has obviously revolutionized medicine as we know it today. So she was a very influential woman. So this is just screwing around on a guitar after reading reading with the kids, and I was like, oh, man. I think I like had that first verse, and I was like, I think I could finish this up. And I mean, it was a, this is another one that just came super quick that night. But it, it ended up getting me down to Kerrville, Texas, for um, the in the songwriting competition, and uh, that kind of uh, elevated my career and we had a, got a lot more people listening to my music. So I'm grateful to this song for sure. And it, it's called Brave Marie. <laughs> Brave Marie, brave Marie Broke every barrier she ever did see And etched one heck of a legacy Mighty, mighty brave Marie Born in the late 1860s Warsaw had never saw anything Like a girl this smart, so bold, so free Mighty, mighty brave Marie Only ten when her mother succumbed to TB wouldn't be her last brush with tragedy She took after dad academically Mighty, mighty smart Marie Government said college boys only So she found a secret flying university Put her sister through school Made her money tutoring Mighty generous Marie Brave Marie, brave Marie Broke every barrier she ever did see Armed only with her wits, she stormed Perry Mighty, mighty brave Marie Dead broke, living on toast and tea Masters of physics by 93 In the next year she followed with a math degree Head of the class, Marie In 95 met physicist Pierre Curie Finally found a fun kind of chemistry Was in one short year before the wedding Man and Marie Curie Oh, they made elemental discovery Named polonium after her own country Isolated radium by 1903 The all-star team Curie Brave Marie, brave Marie Broke every barrier she ever did see And taught radio Mighty, mighty brave Marie In 06 Pierre, he died tragically Left behind a widow on a pile of grief She took on his job, the first lady Professor Madame Curie You know she didn't even want it When they told her she had won the Nobel for physics She was the one and only woman And it wouldn't even be the last one for brave Marie Cause in 1911 more history Second Nobel Now she's still the only one to be awarded in physics Then again in chemistry Mighty groundbreaking Marie Brave Marie, brave Marie Broke every barrier she ever did see Didn't want a bit of credit Just a whole lot of peace Mighty, mighty brave Marie Then war took over 1914 She kept her head down working radiology And made the world's first field x-ray machine Mighty heroic indeed But then all her hard work found a cold hard link Between radiation and her blood disease 
took her down quick, left the world to grieve the late great Brave Marie. You could spend years counting all she achieved, showed the world a woman's got a mind to speak, gave all her daughters a real chance to dream like the late great Brave Marie. Brave Marie, Brave Marie, broke every barrier she ever did see, and etched one heck of a legacy. Mighty, mighty Brave Marie, mighty, mighty Brave Marie, mighty, mighty brilliant i gotta tell you that's an earworm too i got that stuck in my head for the last uh, week or two it's, just, it, it's it's a good thing because it's a it's a really catchy song thank you and it has i mean there's things to learn from it it's a very useful song yeah your kids could use it at school and say look i wrote this for my dad my uh my niece maria did a uh project they had to pick like a character through history and by circumstance she got marie oh. curie so i had to i, I sent it down to her and <laughs> I, i'm not sure she used it in the project but it might, maybe she quoted me as a source of her in her work cited page <laughs> not that i not that i proclaim any expert knowledge but so that was a uh, was it a winner at Caravan one, one nope, year? No, no, just a so submission in uh, 2021 i was i was a finalist which is uh, they picked out of like you know seven eight hundred people or whatever they they narrow it down to twenty four, and uh, you get to go and perform the show and then they pick six winners from there. Um, and the the festival got canceled, so everything was virtual that year. So I got to play that and catch. Those are my two submissions the first time, but it was it was really cool to be a finalist. And I tell you that the the level of uh, talent and just the quality of writers that you're immediately associated with, and you get to obviously meet and you know it was just unreal i mean i still have so so many good friends and stuff that i've made through that experience i'd like to hear what won because if that didn't win I'd like that must be a really damn good song that won uh there was there were six winners that that that, that won that year and ever <laughs> i mean you should you should really go back and listen to them because all of them i mean Pretty i don't right. know how the judges pick i mean i just got back from kerrville last last week um because I was a finalist again this year. You're jumping ahead on me, but that's okay. I mean, when you're sitting there listening to all, all these people go up and play, it's it's. I, I don't know. I, I don't envy the judges at all, and it's <laughs> obviously subjective, right? Sure. I mean, we all have our own. I mean, I turn my favorite songs off sometimes because I'm not in the mood. So it's it all comes down to you know who's judging and everything else. And but, where you're at that day. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually grateful that it didn't that, that I didn't win because it gave me you don't you can't submit again after you're a winner. Oh. So I was able to submit again this year. Which I didn't think I had the songs that I had last year, but um, I got to go back and actually go to the festival, and it was the, I mean, both weekends down there were the, I mean, one and two best weekends as a songwriter I've ever had. Oh, cool. So we'll, we'll have you play that winning song in a bit. We're not okay. there yet. Yeah, I, but I, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm grateful that I didn't win because it, it afforded me the experience to actually get down there. Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit of your, your day job is science related. What is your day job and what would it take for you to quit your day job to do music full time? Like what level do you need to get to? Uh, I mean, it's, it's financial, you know, I have, I have responsibilities at home that, um, that, and I want to be home for my kids right now. Um, and I think if I could get a writing job where I, I could still, uh, get to the games and, and the choir concerts and, and help her out, out around the house. Uh, it would it would have to be something along those lines. But I'm pretty committed to, you know, the life that my wife and I have built 
at home right now. I have a job um, in, I program a medical device that, yeah. get, that gets implanted. Uh, it's called neuromodulation, which is um, basically using electricity to modulate nerves on a local level as opposed to like flooding the bloodstream with indiscriminate medication. So there's a surgical element to it. And then obviously you pr we program these devices to, to be effective to, um, to kind of restore normative function, just target nerve groups. And these patients that are implanted need to be met and reprogrammed and such. And that's what I do. My, my team and I meet them where they need to be met. <laughs> So. And they have no idea you're a brilliant musician. <laughs> they do not. They, they do not. When That's I, okay. I, I used to do uh, surgical neurophysiology in, when I was living in Detroit. I was an intraoperative neurophysiologist where we would go in um, during like neurosurgeries that, would that could potentially compromise the nervous system and, and, and monitor them uh, to let the, alert the surgeon if there were any kind of like ischemic changes or he was bumping the wrong nerve uh, physically. And... Uh, that that was when I was playing a ton too, so mm. I really didn't want people to know that I had both jobs at that time because yeah. I, I was in the OR at seven thirty in the morning what? and I I was loading out at three often, <sighs> you know. So it and that, those were uh, those were the good old days. Yeah, I have a little bit more of an adult schedule these days, for sure. I'm grateful for that. What if say I, I'm going to use Indigo Girls as an example because to me Simon and Garfunkel was part of my youth and Indigo Girls is what relit the fire for modern folk for me. Yeah. What if they said, "Come on and tour with us"? Would you be like, "Yeah, I will quit my day job for that"? Um, probably not. Still, would rather stay have a home I, I, job and a, a a tour. Probably would not be. Maybe in ten years, okay. when my girls are in high school Fair or enough. they're getting ready to leave. Um, but I don't. Yeah, the the performing element of music has always been very very fun for me. I mean, you have to be dead to be able to stand in front of a Curvo Folk Festival and not enjoy having you know, a thousand eyes on you listening to your song and giving you great feedback or obviously playing places like the Ark or the Listening Room in Grand Rapids. Like, I yeah. absolutely love that. Um, and maybe if there was something set up where I could string together three weeks and come home and be, just be home afterwards because that three weeks generated the kind of, you know, to be able to support the family. Um, but I don't, I don't, touring right now is just, not on your list. Yeah, I mean, who who knows? If the, the right list, if, the, if, the in, if the Indigo Girls are listening, please do not withhold any offers. <laughs> I would be happy to entertain that opportunity. Emily, Emily are you listening? Emily, and Amy. yeah. I, if the Indigo Girls called and wanted to cut four of my songs and on their record, I would be much more inclined that that's that's the job I want. Yeah. You know, same if, background. If, if I could, if I could. Uh, get to a place, you know, if Sesame Street called <laughs> and, and needed me to curate songs for a new show or something like that, that, that would be more of the job that I, that I would be drawn to. So you're more of a songwriter than a singer. Um, I like to sing and right I now I sing my own songs because nobody else will. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm, you know, the pandemic really shined a light on, it took everything else away Yeah. for the first time. You know, there wasn't the promotion. What were you going to promote? No one was booking. There wasn't the the supporting the last record because no one was booking. There, the the job was to make songs, and it was the only. It, it is the only part that I'm just truly passionate about, and that I absolutely love. Like I'm obsessed with making new songs. I love, 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 love it. And if I could find a way to have that be the job, I would be absolutely tickled pink. I just met a, uh, a songwriter named Jason Erie, 
who was a fellow finalist with me down in Texas. He was camping right next to me. And he has a publishing deal down in Nashville, and he has to turn in 15 songs a month. Mm. And he performs because he likes it, but his job is to make songs. And I'm not sure that the Nashville machine would be as receptive to the kind of songs that I make, but something like that where I got to make songs for a living and play when I wanted to, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be awesome. And obviously beggars can't be choosers, so... uh, but really, just the creation and making the songs is, is is the draw for me. That's the that's my favorite part by far. You've been putting out albums since about 2010. Do you typically have more songs than you put on a record? I know for this one you did because I read that. Yeah. Um. Until the last probably five years, I I didn't do a very good job of like finishing songs that I wasn't into. Okay. So I would start 150 songs and finished the 10 I was putting on my album. You know what I mean? And then right around 2000, I would say 18, 19. Um, what I was, actually, I can tell you, it was 2019 after I went to farm the first time. I, I, I play in a band called Josh Rose and the Founding Fathers, and, and Josh and I play as a duo where I just I sing harmonies and just I play guitar with him. And he went up to farm, and farm is a, a folk alliance branch for the Midwest region. Folk Alliance Region Midwest is what it stands for. And it's a place where folk DJs come together with venue owners and show curators and obviously songwriters and performers. And it's it's a convention to meet each other and set up your year and network. And they just celebrate songs, the folk song. Like there's a whole group of people that are just obsessed with songwriting. And I had never met a community like that before. And it was, you know, I was 38 at the time. I was almost embarrassed to be finding that at that time and that late in my life. But it changed everything for me. It's when I kind of ditched the band and I went home and I was like, that's I mean, I have a community of people now that just care about songs. And Andy Baker, um, who is an outstanding songwriter, he lives in Goebbels, Michigan. He invited me to be in one of his songwriting groups which was just like a monthly deal online. And that's how I met um, Dan Bracken and Dave Boutet and Annie Caps and Jan Christ. And uh, Nicholas James Thomasman was already a good friend of mine, but he's in that group too. And it, it was just the network that I met through that group and sharing these songs every month. You know, you get a prompt and you got to put a song up at the end of the month with a video of you playing it. And so that was the first time where I was like, I finish everything. Cool. And, it, and it was a lesson for me in, you know, you might have the song that you're not that gung-ho about. You have a good verse and a, a decent chorus, but it's just, it's not really cutting it for you. But when you have to finish and turn it in, that chorus might be an amazing bridge. And then you write a better chorus, and next thing you know, it's on your album. Because the only reason that you found that is because you I was I, I finished it. And it really changed my work ethic around songwriting. Mm. Um, I think that I get, I know I personally, I can only speak from my own experience, but I think I get better at songwriting when I don't want to write and mm-hmm. I make myself go out to work really? and I, and I make myself do that all the time now. And it's that way when the inspiration does strike, you just have these muscles built up to, to channel it into, uh, into more of a pure expression, I guess. But, um, I've, it really changed my focus from sitting around waiting for that song to hit me to to making those songs, you know, mm. the, and taking those jokes that you have with the kids and you know finish it, have what? it have it be a song. So, yeah. 
now for the first time, I mean, I have 200 songs sitting around. I just put, a, I, and when I went in to make this record, I, I went in and cut 30 some demos for Josh and he picked the 11 and he produced the record. And it's helped me kind of pull back a little bit from the being, from self-producing everything. I mean, all the records that I'd made before, it was like me and an engineer or a studio owner in the studio and I was making all the decisions. I was picking who was going to come in and play and what they were going to play. And it was, and I'm not a producer. <laughs> I mean, we talked about it a little bit off air, but I don't even care about audio quality all that much. Like I don't have that great stereo at home that, that a lot of people have that are audio files that really um, are interested in, in that element of music. For me, it's as good as the song. So the, what it, this new approach and and having a stockpile of songs that I'm proud of has just made each of them less sacred, I think. So I didn't I didn't feel like there was any like risk of like wasting that great song. Like I, I let him do what he wanted with with the tunes, and I have more. You know, I am the manufacturing facility. Cool. I made that one. I can make another one. Um, and it's it's really helped me. You know, just kind of get out of my own way by not wearing so many hats. I'm, I'm the songwriter. For the first time, I was talking about this the other day with one of my friends. Um, when people ask, you know, oh, are you a musician? Yep. What do you play? I say I write the songs. I don't say I play guitar or piano because I don't. I mean, I, I, that would be insulting to someone who studied piano or guitar. And, and you know, I can accompany myself, but I'm a songwriter. That, that, that's what I bring to every band I've ever been in. I'm not interested in being in a band if I'm not the worst musician in the band. The band's <laughs> not good enough. I don't want to make mediocre music. I'm very comfortable surrounding myself with with amazing players, and I've been super fortunate to have many um, willing to help me celebrate these songs. Um, but, yeah, I it's it's just all about the writing. And that's been a comfortable place to be these last couple of years. Well, it sounded like initially you were just like randomly writing songs all the time with your kids. And then you also just indicated that a songwriting prompt really helps you. I guess that helps you finish the song. You start a lot of songs you don't yeah. finish. So there's an accountability to those groups yeah, that, sure. that I really like. And I've started my own group since then uh, called The Song Hall. So I, I mean, I'm writing at least two songs a month now. Uh, that's not all I write. My my group is a little less stringent than the, the Songsmiths, the one that Andy Baker curates, because you have to write to that prompt. He wants that prompt in the song. My group is we put a prompt up, and if you need the prompt, by all means, please. But if you're writing something else, it, the it, the goal of the group is to have you writing and to, and, to, and to get some feedback for some other talented writers that you respect. It's it's very secret. You know, the, the rules that you got to put a song up and it, you, it can't, you know, you don't share it, you know, because a lot of times it's, you know, you're not putting up your best stuff, you know, that, that's where the work comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's liberating too, to let people hear something that, you know, maybe you wouldn't put on a record. Maybe this is kind of shit, you know, I'm not, I'm not super proud of this one, but here we go. I, I finished it. And, yeah. you know, some, I mean, I've had songs that I thought were just garbage that people come back and be like, dude, don't sleep on that one. That's I like that. I like that part too. And just getting that feedback from someone you respect is like, oh, really? Yeah. You kind of hear it a different way, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I will flesh that one out a little bit. And so, nice. uh, it's it's become a community thing too, which has been cool. But yeah, those 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 groups have been a neat way to not only, I mean, and songwriting is such a vulnerable art form to begin with. So to to find a sacred space to share, um, is it's just been a cool way to meet other writers too. Tell me about the song that you were just honored for at the Caravel. 
Well, Kerrville is is interesting because um, this was the 50th year Mm. of the Kerrville Folk Festival, and uh, this organization within the festival is called New Folk, where it's it's a contest for emerging songwriters, and you have to submit two songs, which is important for me. I'm not a big contest guy you know i live in grand rapids where they have art prize and i've always right. been like really you know we're gonna we're gonna reward art like <laughs> how do you judge it and and uh a lot of it is popular opinion which i'm not super into those songwriting groups where you know some of them you, if you pass that first level all of a sudden it's like how many friends can you get to vote for you and I, i'm not really interested in those ones but kerrville is interesting because you submit two songs you have to have written them in the last 18 months um and i think just the fact that it's that they have to be new and there's two of them it's a songwriter competition as opposed to a song competition it's not don't submit your greatest hit that you've gotten overproduced by some nashville guy it's we want to hear what you're making now so um that was the reason that i first subscribed to that competition and it's basically your you don't even submit a lyric sheet you don't submit your tour schedule you don't submit your one sheet they don't care how reputable you are or anything else if you've got a good song it's going to get listened to and put up against some other very, very good songs. So um, this year I put in a song that I wrote the day my dog died, which is a little bit of a heart heartstring tugger. Pet pets, I know. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I put another song in that was uh, one of the last ones I wrote for this latest album called Honest that uh, Josh Kaufman, my producer, heard and insisted was going to go in here on the album too. It was kind of a rush job to get on the album, so uh, those were the two that got that got chosen this year. But one of them, I actually no, they both they both won. So the writer gets rewarded okay. for um, with the judges. You go. We had a big show at this at this theater called the Threadgill Theater, right on property at the Quiet Valley Ranch down in Kerrville. And all of us, there were two days of shows where you went and you had to play your two songs for everybody. It, it, it's it was a weird show, man. I wouldn't. If you told me, I actually said it on stage, if you would have told me that I was going to go and play my own songs at the Kerrville Folk Festival and then I'd be opening with a dead dog song. <laughs> you know, you don't get to pick your set. No. You, you got to go down you got to play what got you there. So, um, but it was, an, the audience down there was the most loving, welcoming, attentive. And, you know, we have those rooms here too. We mm-hmm. have the Trinity House in Livonia. We have the listening room. We have the ARC uh, Twenty, I heard Twenty Front Streets kind of like that. Yep. Wiltsies was like that. I love listening room environments, but sometimes those kind of exude an aura of like, all right, you have our attention. Let's see what you got. Yeah. It's a little bit of a uh, there's an intimidation to it that um, I like. Don't get me wrong, I, I I appreciate that kind of pressure too, and, mm-hmm. and it's always a respectful attention. But at Kerrville, it was like all thousand people were your grandparents that were just so proud of you for being there and they mm-hmm. couldn't wait to get blown away by your song. It was just, it, it's really difficult to explain, but I mean, there were thousands of people on that ranch and all of them were just obsessed with the art form that I'm obsessed with. They're, Those are your people. Their line is welcome home when you get there. Everyone gets a big hug and welcome home. And uh, it's kind of like the happy Wheatland of Kerrville is welcome home. And it, it certainly felt that way for people that do what I do. Nice. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Do you want to sing about your dog? You want me to sing about my dog? Can you? You have Kleenex? Um, They're in the other room. Dog dog lovers. All right, yeah, this, uh, my dog, his name was Dude, Dude the dog, and um, he was not a good dog. He was a very nice dog. 
the nicest dog actually. Every, everyone loved this dog. He was he had a way with people that didn't like dogs. He was just he, I mean everyone knew him and loved him. Uh, but boy, he was he was not a great listener. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, I lost him in August of 2020, and it was right middle of the shutdown too. It was, it was kind of heartbreaking. I was finally home. I had to be home all the time. You know, everyone's home, and, and he got sick. It was it was pretty quick, thankfully. But um, yeah, this is this is the song for dude. It's called Good Good Dude. Hey dude, we had a run. You were just a run. We couldn't find a crate you wouldn't break, so we gave up. Scrapped our plans for how to keep you. None of them lasted a week. You snuck up to our bed and for eleven years. That's where you'd sleep too, always by my side. Yeah, we'd walk the neighborhood each night. And I just loved having the dog all the neighbors recognized. They'd yell, good dude, good, good dude. Naming as a joke became the name you grew into. Never defecate in the place we designate. The Brandenburgs deserve awards for the shit that they forgave you for. I remember working hard, training you in our side yard. You'd understand each damn command that you'd stare and blatantly discard. Well, man, you had a motor. Oh, I'd get tired just standing and throwing While you'd sprint yard to yard and back so fast And beg, keep going Such a good dude Good, good dude Pain in my neck, but man, my heart was fond of you six when we had kids and you loved them like we did but I know you took the brunt when we brought home those brand new twins you fell way way down my list man and I truly regret that you took it on the chin it's just what living in our pack meant and they'd poke your eyes and pull your tail Clothes barrettes on your hair You just took it like a champ And brother, I thank you now for that You're such a good dude Good, good dude You paid us back in all those bags of trash you got into Good dude Then you got old Felt your heart grow tired of trying You laid your head upon my leg And that's how we said our last goodbyes And I swear I stayed right by your side We'll see you on down the line And I can't say this enough But the privilege was mine 
such a good dude, good, good dude, saw me at my worst and still gave all the best to you, good dude, good, good dude, easy dog to love, but man, you're damn. The dude song. The dude song. Kyle Rashi's here for the uh, promotion of the newest album, Catch, which that is not on, but it was an award-winning song. And he's here uh, at Acoustic Alternatives at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. We're uh, chatting about the new record. Thank you for being here with us. And Kyle, thank you for opening up uh, your life and your stories and your songs with me and pretty much everybody when you sing. It's good to be here, man. Do you find yourself, does it feel awkward sometimes to share such intimate stories about your life? I mean, the other songs are pretty pretty uh, yeah. honest song too honest yeah, no, no it, pun intended but it can be awkward a little bit you know um that was one of the the things that one of the big shifts when i started writing a lot more in 2018-19 was uh just just making just truthful so just write you know instead of writing the songs that make me cool write the songs that make me Kyle you know um what i know about um you know, I, I spent a lot of time in my career trying to make records that, that would be popular or that would be edgy or so much energy went into how to, to make them unique as opposed to how to make them good, you know? And I think um, the music that I'm drawn to is, is very honest and, and, and authentic. So, um, yeah, it can get awkward. I mean, there's a song on, on the new record called uh, um, Clover that... It's about, you know, my struggle with, you know, alcohol and, and, and other s- stuff like that. that uh, and it's just weird to, to have an art form that, you know, I, I haven't talked about that with people that I'm very, very close to. And, you know, when before my release show, knowing, you know, there's, you know, a couple hundred people out waiting uh, and we performed the record. And I had a moment there where I was like, many people that I know and love that probably maybe should, maybe, I mean, arguably maybe should have had, I had, had this conversation with are going to, are going to know about it after they hear Clover, you know? Right. And wh- what about songwriting makes us willing to, to write, arrange, record, publish a song that is so personal that you wouldn't even really have that conversation with people that you love very, very much. It's, it's, it's a weird paradox about songwriting, but I think it's also what I love about, what I love about it is it is a a form of expression. And for me, some of that hard stuff to, to write about was once I make it into a song, it becomes a place I can visit as opposed to a thing I have to carry around all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not always fun to play those songs. I don't love playing playing Clover so much. There's a, you know, I have a song, Sackcloth and Ashes, same thing, that's kind of a, a big apology song, but um, it's cathartic for me to make those songs, and, and sometimes those are the good ones that resonate with people. I've gotten more people DM me since this record came out about Clover that it it's totally worthwhile. I'll, I'll put up with that that uncomfortable moment or that uncomfortable conversation to if it's 
if people are going to resonate with with it like that. You know, sometimes it takes living it to say it well. And I think uh, maybe I don't think it's a responsibility of every songwriter because I certainly I love many writers that can write totally fictional stuff. But mm. for me, um, it's it's a place that I can put some of that stuff, and um, I'm grateful for it, really more than anything. As a listener, because I I mean I write, you've seen some poetry. Sure. Um, I, I appreciate the honesty in the songwriting because we've all been through a lot in the last couple of years and you know, I've had my own personal like struggles that are not related to a pandemic. And what I've really realized as much as I've been a music fan all my life, that music and songwriting reminds me that somebody else has been through what I've been through. Yeah. And they sang about it. Yeah. And it's, it becomes a place that you can visit too. Well, you don't feel as alone. You go like, Oh, that person, that man or that woman who sang that song wrote that because they went through the same thing I'm going through and I didn't know anybody else felt like this. Sure. So you've you've done that with that song. I'm sure that's why people are connecting with it. Maybe I hope they're embarrassed so. as well. Well, and that's you know, there a lot of those subjects are you know, maybe some people feel like certain people have a right to to write about it or don't have a, a right to write about it and I certainly I don't, I don't think I would tackle a a song like that from a third person perspective because it's it really is something that, you know, got to uh, own it. Uh, well, and I do, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't have to apologize for that because I, I, every single, every single word in that song is painstakingly true. And I can say that from personal experience, that took a lot of living to write that song. Uh, and I'm, pr- I'm proud of it. I think, you know, cheers to you for, thank for, you. for kicking it. Seriously. I appreciate, I appreciate awesome. that. Uh, it's an ongoing struggle for sure. I'm certain it's, but I, I meant, I meant every word of that song and I wouldn't have put it out if I didn't. That's for sure. I can I can say that honestly. A songwriter that I'm a big fan of that you may or may not be familiar with, Stephen Kellogg, is very good at writing the the family stories. He's got a song yeah. about every single one of his kids, and his wife oh, makes cool. tons of appearances in his songs. And just you feel like you know the artist because they're telling you their stories and they're real. I mean, you meet him and you, you know he's talking you, about. You his do part. know the artist. Yeah. I mean, maybe not on a personal level. He doesn't know you, but um, he does. That's one of the, that's. Oh, of course, <laughs> he's not from here. But we have been you're, a bunch you're of times. You're John Bomarito, so wow. you you have unprecedented access to a lot of those guys coming through. Um, but yeah, I that's one of the thi- one of the things I love the most about songwriting is I mean, and it has made evident this last couple of weeks being down at Kerrville and and having such a limited time to meet these writers. It's you sift through a lot of the bullshit when. You're, when you're starting by sharing that space mm-hmm. that you create these songs from, you really do get to know somebody. You get to know, it's almost like you get to know their heart before you get to know their past, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that. I think if you're doing it the right way, um, I shouldn't say the right way. If you're doing it a certain way, and I hope that I'm doing it that way, it, it is. It, it does let people in. At the show I saw not so long ago at Trinity House with you, you covered James Taylor, which is something I would expect you to do. And Amy and you did a beautiful job on that. Yeah. Name a song that people would not expect you to cover that you think you'd actually do. I used to do a killer <laughs> cover of like Take On Me. Oh, yeah. That was really fun. Um, I mean, I've, I've done those three, four hour gigs where you're playing other people's songs all the time. I, I mean, and I, I do a lot of like... The covers that I play are like the, like, I love playing like Green Day songs in my style. Yeah. She, she screams in silence. <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite songs of theirs. It's, I think that Billy Joe. Keep the jo- guitar in your lap. I think that Bill, <laughs> Billy Joe Armstrong is, is one of the greatest American songwriters in my opinion. And that, I mean, yeah. everything that guy does is so good. In my, I mean, I, I, I'm also a big theater nerd too, and so American Idiot came out, it blew my mind. But like, that was my first CD. My sister actually, 
My sister bought Dookie because it was the cool thing to buy. Sure. She was like a seventh grader. I was a fifth grader, and she hated it. Oh. So she gave it to me, and I was like, it absolutely blew my mind. And, and then, of course, my parents didn't like it, which made me like it 200 times more. <laughs> and, yeah, that, the, the Green Day was a big, was a big deal for me. Uh, but, yeah, I love, I, I mean, and I love hip-hop, too. I mean, I, I love a lot of different kinds of music. You know, I, and I generally I don't listen to much of what I do while I'm writing a lot, which has been the last several years. I, I, I don't tend to spend a lot of time with other people's music because then I'll listen to, like, the record I make and be like, oh, no, I was listening to a lot of Green Day during that or whatever, <laughs> whatever it, it might be. Well, catch us the latest record, the one we're talking about, and we're going to have you do one more song, maybe a couple more questions after that. But cool. what song would you like to close with, musically speaking? Th this song is called Honest, and uh, we'll keep with the family theme. Uh, I wrote this one for my daughter, um, Annie, specifically, but it's kind of for all my girls, but I mentioned her. Anne's Bananas. Anne's Bananas, yeah, that's right. Um, I was paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> she. Th it, this is just kind of speaks to those moments where you start to see some tendencies in your kids that you definitely imparted upon them. Hmm consciously or not mostly just the, the some of those uh characteristics maybe that they inherited from you that you know has been a, that i know has been a struggle my whole life and then seeing it pop up in her and be like oh no mm. she totally got that from me but also um shortly after the guilt and everything that floods you when you realize that you that you passed something like that along comes the you know maybe i can help you know, I've been dealing with this forever. Let me tell you what I learned way too late. Hmm. So uh, that's where that was where this one was born, and uh, it's called Honest. It used to be called Anne's Bananas, but I got talked out of calling it Anne's Bananas on the record. So I, we still call it Anne's Bananas. It'll be our inside joke. We thought we'd call you gentle Annie. Learned the song and sang it in those first few days Then I saw you pitching a fit and it sunk in quick My new kid needed a new nickname When you were startled you'd start laughing And I don't think that I could ever get enough of that game Here I was a grown ass man trying to scare the bananas out of my girl in the palm of your hand held the whole damn world my only complaint with this old dad things that you're growing up way too fast for me girl we get that minivan jam you crackling I'm hoping I can help teach you how to tend those flames before you let them burn the years like your dad did dear I've only got myself to blame if there's a little bit of you even a tiny bit bad 
dead, there's no doubt now we passed down from your dad. But the lion's share, there's this angel I see. I pray heaven lets a little rub off on me. Well, I know my snuggling days are numbered, and I know you can cross without my hand. And I know your name by heart, darling There's no forgetting my hands, but hands And I know darkness might find you And I know that there's plenty in our blood So you can ask anything you want to I'll tell you about every hole I've dug And I could say your future's bright as ever But honey, between just you most us fathers aren't the prophets we tend to pretend to be. So when that darkness finally finds you, or boils up in your blood, just know that you come by it honest, and you can have my hand back if you want. Great tune there called Honest. Kyle Ross, she's here on Acoustic Alternatives, and it's from the latest album, Catch, and a couple of baseball analogies here, I guess, or at least uh, connections. That would you sing the national anthem at a, a baseball game? I used to, yeah, I used to do it all the time. Oh, I uh, that was one of the ways I tried to like get my name out in West Michigan when I first moved there, nice. and uh, I I would do it at um, Whitecaps games and um, Griff, Grand Rapids Griffins, mm -hmm. which is like the the I think it's Triple A Red Wings affiliate yeah. there. And uh, I had one time, I used to do it with my band. I had three singers, so I arranged it with guitar and three voices. And we got to be like the, the cancellation group, basically. If somebody canceled last minute, call Close, Kyle. Yeah. Let's get in here. I need you, man. And I did it one time, and the band couldn't do it. And it was just me. And it was the first time I'd ever done it inside um, by myself at a hockey game. And I got up there, and like I had done it before. And it, there's something about being able to like hear the people next to you that makes it pretty just like singing in a room. But I got up there by myself and I went and I, oh, say can't, oh, say can't. Like the, the, echo. the echo came back like a second and a half later and I was not prepared for it. And I, it is, I would love to hear a tape of that <laughs> performance because it was a sold out like uh, playoff game. And I was by myself and I have no idea how I managed to get through that song with that coming back it was so hard <laughs> oh, i have i have ptsd from the national anthem the last time i did it but having done live radio where you're doing like a broadcast outside of the studio and somebody has the buttons pushed wrong and that happens in your headphones oh. and you're trying to talk you're like oh my god yeah you just go what yeah <laughs> sometimes my phone will do that too yeah. and it drives me it drives me yeah. nuts but when you're singing for twelve thousand people the stakes are a little bit higher yeah. and yeah it was it was, had to go with it. it was awful but i'm proud of myself for getting through it who knows i might have sang the first verse twice or something i don't even remember so what's in the on deck circle for kyle i, I hear there's some extra songs from the record that didn't make it yep i'm gonna do we're going in Later this month, on the 30th, um, there, we cut four that we had actually tracked. Um, so whether or not those make it, I'm going to do another batch that's, I, mean, I think we're calling it the songs that didn't make the record. 
Um, Fair enough. And then uh, I have the the kids record coming out, the real humdingers we're calling it. <laughs> um, and I, it was funny when I was down at Kerrville, I met the. Have you ever heard of the band um, Trout Fishing in America? Mm-hmm. Those guys are awesome. So I got to hang out with them a little bit, and they are they write the best kids songs. And I grew up loving Rafi and all those all those that children's music. So I'm gonna delve into that world a little bit with Josh. Uh, Josh Kaufman, who uh, is the producer and owner of Local Legend Recording in Grand Rapids, which is just the best studio. I'm, I'm so proud to work with him. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we got that one coming up. Uh, we're working on artwork for that project right now, the the songs that didn't make the record. And then um, I just wrote a musical last year with Charlie Walmsley and uh, a woman named Patricia Thieler, who's a uh, author out of Washington, D.C. So hmm. I think we might start uh, trying to, like, demo those songs as a review and see if we can try to get that produced uh that's a play called chevy town so that was kind of a dream for me to write for theater that's like one of my favorite art forms is your high school self right there right i never got the parts though man i was always in the i always got the part in the play that sang the most that had the most singing responsibility like harmony wise that didn't have to act so i was like (laughs) baseball player number three in damn yankees i was in the i was in the cockney quartet of Mm -hmm. my fair lady i was on stage a lot and i always had to dance and just sing the most without having to actually act. So <laughs> I, I, I could see where the director was pigeonholing me. And I, 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 Play to your talents. I can't, <laughs> I can't act. I wish I could, man, because I, I absolutely love plays and musicals. And my wife, that's a big thing my wife and I bond over. We love going to those things. Well, I look forward to all of these future projects. And I'm excited about the new record. And I'm glad that we were able to, after months of saying, hey, you got to be on the podcast. It took yeah. us like six months to actually make it work. But you got to go to Soundcheck. I do. I get to play with Ken Yates tonight. I'm so excited. And you're welcome to come. I'd be happy to, to get you on the list. Thanks. So if you would like to come over to the ARC tonight, you're welcome. And thank you for all your support for not only me, but, I mean, everybody. Everyone I talked to that I've said I'm, I'm doing this. Every, everyone in Southeast Michigan that, that knows I was talking to John Bomarito today <laughs> knows – knows of you and and is, is equally as grateful for what you do for the people that do what I do. And uh, Thanks, particularly with, with, I mean, I can speak to my experience, but you have been just a pillar of support. And, you know, I remember being in California for a work trip and getting those texts about your poem and stuff. It was fun to work on that with you. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's cool to call you a friend, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Kyle. And thanks to Grove Studios. If you want to check out the space online, grovestudios.space is the websites and you can book a space to practice your band, do a podcast like I do. If you're a DJ and you want to like scratch your CDs and stuff and make noise without disturbing your, your people in the apartment next to you, this is the place to do it. Very affordable, 24 seven, really cool space. And I'm so grateful for them. Thank you, Kyle. And we'll uh, see each other again soon. I hope. I hope so. Thanks, John. It's acoustic alternatives. Thanks a lot.